God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the freedom that we can gather, read it, live it. We don't have to hide it. Which I think is important for us to realize in our day and age as it relates to, to David. Thank you, God, that it can meet us where we are, that it's alive and it's active. So as we talk about consequences today, Father, as we, as we talk about the, the numerous transgressions in our lives, I pray that we can look at this man who was after your own heart. And we can see the proper response to the, to the conviction, to the being called out for those very sins in our lives. So, Father, I pray that your word meets us today where we are. If we're currently living in sin, God, then I, I, I pray that our eyes are open to that and, and that we respond the same way that David responded. Father, I pray that your word will encourage us to take steps, that your word will correct behavior. Help us to become like Jesus. We look at the life of David. Love you and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, we're, we're going to be in 2 Samuel in just a few minutes, but we're going to go back to Acts chapter 13, verses 22 and 23, which is where we were last week. And just, oh, by the way, we'll also be in Acts 13 next week as well. Um, so Acts chapter 13, 22 and 23, let me read this. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And then verse 23 says that from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Now, next week we're going to get into the riveting passages of Matthew looking at the genealogy of Jesus. And let me tell you, it's almost it's up there with numbers where people begat one another and begat one another and begat one another. But here's what we know about Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful. It's useful to equip people. And so we're going to look at the genealogy of Jesus next week. It's very important. Paul is preaching in this sermon. He just shows up to church. Remember this from last week? Paul just showed up to Antioch, and they go through their rituals, they go through their things, they're like, oh, hey, Paul's here, let's give him the opportunity. Paul, you have anything, any words of encouragement for us? And he just starts preaching, and he starts preaching through the, the entire history of God's people, and he's, he's going through uh, the, the different judges, and he's going through all the different things. He gets to Saul being king, and then he goes right on in to David, and he says this statement that is also quoted in 1 Samuel. A man after my own heart. That's this guy, David. And, and, and that's what we're studying. That's what we're looking at last week and this week. And so I encourage you, if you missed last week, go back and listen to that. Because we want to understand culturally for you and I, what's this even mean? Well, like in Christian circles and Christian conversations, when we talk about King David, we talk about Goliath, we may talk about some of the sin, but it, it seems to always come up that he was a man after God's own heart. 
Well, what's that mean? So we looked at that a little bit last week and we're finishing that up today. So in the sermon that Paul's preaching, he adds this. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, what this is not saying about the life of David is that he was perfect. We know that David was not perfect. David did everything that God wanted him to do. What about you? David also stepped out of line. David also did things that God did not want him to do. David also did things that he himself wanted to do. See, what happened is David let pride have this temporary place in his life, and as a result, sin followed. David's a very faithful man, but he certainly was not perfect. I mean, we know David sinned. We know that he did not live up to the cultural norms. When kings go off to war, 2 Samuel tells us, David sent the army. He stayed behind. Walking on his roof. You know, when you have the palace, you have the highest roof line, and you're out there walking. He let the lust creep in. It's not one thing just to look. It's not one thing just to see another man's wife bathing. What does he do? He summons for her. Have her come here. We know that David sinned. There was lust. There was adultery. Then knowing weeks later that, uh-oh, there's now a child on the way, now enters the manipulation. Send, send for Uriah the Hittite. Have Uriah the Hittite come. And so Uriah the Hittite, being, being an, a loyal and honorable soldier, he comes at the king's request, yes, sir, what do you need? David's like, well, tell me, what's going on? How's the war really going? I get this rumors, but, but you're a man I can trust. How, how are things really going? So Uriah the Hittite fills him in. So David's like, well, thank you for the update. Hey, why don't you go on home? Why don't you go on down to your house and, and make sure you tell your wife hi for me, okay? He thinks, man, this, this Uriah dude is going to go down there and, and, and he's going to take advantage of the situation. You know? Home for a couple nights. Get to see my wife. Hallelujah. But this guy's honorable. He's like, man, my, my immediate supervisor, my commander is sleeping in the field. The Ark of the Covenant, God's, God's resting place, His presence is, is, is out in the field. The men that serve under me, they're out in the field. Your eyes like, man, I, I cannot go in and visit and be with my wife. But David's like, okay, I'll take it one step further. Hey, you're right, before you come back, you know what, let, let's just, me and you, let's just hang out as bros, right? I hate that term, I don't even know why I use it, I can't stand it, sorry. <laughs> let's just hang out, man. Let's just, me and, me and you, we're buds. We're pals, right, Stella? We're pals. We're going to hang out here. And it says that David got him drunk. Now have one more. 
Have one more. You're right, you're good. We'll have another one. You could really hold it. Take one more if necessary. It says that he got him drunk and then he, he sent him back home. And even in this drunken stupor of a state that Uriah was in, he still did not go in. And so this low-life scumbag David says, okay, I'm going to write a letter to the field commander. Put Uriah. Think about this. Put Uriah at the front line of the fiercest place of battle and then pull back and don't tell him. And oh, by the way, I'm going to write this letter. Uh, Uriah, I'm going to need you to deliver this to Joab, the field commander, by the way. He made, he made Uriah carry his very death sentence. I mean, like, like that's just low down. I mean, it's not bad enough. I'm going to, I'm going to kill you or I'm going to have you killed. I'm going to make you carry your very death warrant. So Joab does the stuff. Uriah dies. David is just stacking the sins. One right after another, right after another. Well, several months go by. Oh, well then, before we get to the several months go by, he immediately, you know, probably as the news is coming back that Uriah has died, he takes this, this wife who is probably grieving. We would hope that she's grieving. It doesn't say that. And he brings her into his house and marries her whether she had a choice or not because I'm the king and you're not and that's what's happening. And now several months go by and Bathsheba gives birth to a son. And in David's mind, everything's okay. We've all been at that place. I'm not saying we've done all the same things that David did, but we have been at that place right there where we've lived it and we've lived it and we've escaped it and we're like, everything's okay. No one knows. Your eyes dead. Bathsheba's in my house. She doesn't know that I had him killed. Joab knows that I had him killed, but he doesn't know the rest of the story over here. And so there's a few people that know all the pieces, but, but, but everybody, it's, it's all good. I escaped it. David was content to live with his secret. But here's, here's the biblical truth. Every thought you have, every word you speak, Every deed you perform is seen by God. That is certainly true with his appointed king, David. David thinks I'm good. 2 Samuel chapter 12, we're going to read the entire chapter. There's a lot here. We want to look and see how David handled the consequences of sin. So we know he gets called on it. But what happens next? 2 Samuel 12, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. 
He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Right there. Okay, let's just, you see it. You, you people that are fanatical, you know, the first ones to be fanatical about your pets. This guy right here is bringing a lamb into his house, and he's treating it like his daughter. My daughter says, well, you treat me like a lamb. So there's, you got issues too, Dad. Verse 4, now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the travel, traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. Nathan had gone home. The Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David. and He became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when he spoke to him. How can we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Verse 20, then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, he put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. His attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not 
return to me. All right, lengthy story. There's a couple of details we need to understand about sin, punishment, discipline, consequences, and everything in between, okay? Now, sin, you need to know, always has consequences. Always. We've got to understand that. Like one little white little lie has consequences. I remember the story. I've shared this a couple times where I was growing up and, and not, to, not to rat on the minister at my home church, Tom Plank, right? But, but there was uh, this one instance where we were doing this fundraiser where uh, people would, if you will, rent out the youth group to do chores your house and they would come and they would work at your house and they would do whatever things you've got lined up for them to do and then they would write a money they would write a check or whatever to the church on your behalf or whatever the thing was that you were doing as a fundraiser see we used to have to work for fundraisers okay that's just how it was done back in the day and this one particular lady in our church she kind of she if you will she rented me and she rented our minister's daughter andrea okay now, this lady kind of had a reputation. And, and, and the reputation was, and, and we, 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 we're in small church circles, and so we, we understand this to a level. Um, this lady had a reputation that, that sometimes her food that she offered was kind of just maybe wasn't the greatest. You know, maybe it had like dog hairs and things like that. And so... Anytime this lady brought something to church, there was this rumor that went around, there was this warning that would go around, don't eat that dish right there because so-and-so made it, and it may not be the cleanest of environments if you catch my drift, okay? And so we're now going over to this lady's house, and it comes up, I'm in the kitchen of my senior minister at his house. Andrea's there, and Miss Carol his, Tom's wife is there, and it comes up, what if so-and-so offers them something to eat? And I'm like, we eat it. I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm a 15-year-old boy. I don't care. We eat it, right? Like, come on. And no, they're like, whatever you do, just tell them you're full. Just tell her you ate right before you got there, Right? little white lie. That's what we say. It's just a little white lie. Little white lies have consequences. Every sin always has consequences. Even the sins don't, that don't even think that they're going to matter for anything, they always have consequences. Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 and 8 say this, do not be deceived. I know we use this when it comes to money a lot. Uh, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Decisions or habits to, to sin are always made, whether you realize it or not, to please the flesh. To get out of something, to get into something, to, to please myself in some way, shape, or form, sin always is there to serve me 
and serve me only. Now I may drag other people into it with me. And I, and I may bring others along. But sin and choosing to sin and the habit of sin is all about pleasing me. And Galatians tells us right here, if you sow to please the flesh, if you sow, if you make decisions to, to get that instant gratification in your life, the flesh will reap destruction. So with those decisions come destruction in some form or fashion. And it may not be immediate. It may, it, it may not be with even a couple of weeks as we saw with David. It was some time. It, it, was, it was at least nine months later because, because the child came into the world. Decisions made from the flesh, destruction follows. Now, here's the interesting thing about Galatians chapter 6, uh, 7 and 8. We, we can also say this. We can also be dealing with consequences from sinful decisions from our past. And we can be making God-honoring decisions that please the Spirit, which will reap eternal life. Does that make sense to you? Like, I can have both of these going on. I can be living in the consequences because of the decisions I made years ago, and I could still be dealing with those consequences, but I have turned from that. I have repented from that, as we'll see in David's life in just a few minutes. But I can now be honoring the Spirit. I can be living to please the Spirit in which I will be reaping eternal life. And that's true of David. Which, which is why we need to learn from him. Because here's the thing, church. Every human choice and every action has consequences, good or bad. And we are all affected by the choices others make as well. And we can't get into that. But my personal sin impacts the people around me. So we're not going to get into that today. That's another place. But no, your actions and your decisions and they, they, they have a bearing they impact other people so the second detail about sin that we need to know consequences are not punishment from our sin so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this right here and we probably ought to spend more time on this very topic to distinguish between the two okay but but consequences are not punishment from our sin See, I can sin and wrong you. There's consequences that, that have to deal with that. If my children sin against us, there's consequences there, but then there's also punishment that follows. And in God's economy, the sin has to be atoned for. Okay? And, and, and a lot of times we think that when we make poor decisions that do not honor God, what immediate what immediately follows is punishment. And, and, and that's not true. What follows are the consequences of the poor decision. Here's the thing about the punishment for our sin. It's waiting on us. The punishment is coming. It's called hell. It's called eternal separation from a kind and loving and merciful God. Now we're going to come back to that because there's some blood that was spilt that gets a lot of those of us, all of us who believe, 
off the hook. But then there's also this discipline aspect because God does discipline his children because he is loving and kind. All right, so we got consequences that we got to deal with. There is punishment waiting, and then God does discipline us. Sometimes it has to do with our sins, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's just, I'm going to use circumstances to, to get your attention, and I'm going to discipline you because of his loving, because he is loving and he is kind. Hebrews 12, 11, not on the screen. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God never disciplines. He never uses discipline to punish, only to purify. Okay? The punishment, if you are an unrepentant, you are not believing in God, and you're not believing in the sacrifice that was made on the cross for you, punishment is waiting on you. But Jesus bore the full weight of our sin on the cross. Now, I told you, sin has to be atoned for. There has to be a price paid for sin. All sins have to be paid for. And this is done one of two ways. Okay? Sin being paid for is done one of two ways. Number one, you choose to pay for the sin in your life by giving up your life. And this happens at the final judgment. When you enter into the presence of the Lord, you stand before the Lord for your actions. If you choose to be the atonement for your sin, you will be found guilty. And then you will pay for your sins in eternal separation from God. That's one way our sins can be atoned for. The second way is that someone else pays for those same sins. That has been done by the work of Jesus on the cross. We say it a lot around here. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation means that He steps in and He becomes the atoning sacrifice for our sins. I will take the weight of every sin of the entire world in the past, moving into the future, and I will take them upon myself. That's what Jesus did. Propitiation is a two-part act that involves appeasing the wrath of God, of the offended person, and being reconciled to Him. That's what the propitiation is. I am going to take the wrath of God for every sin that you commit. I'm going to take that upon myself and I am going to reconcile you back to Him. That's our options. You do it or we embrace Jesus. See, consequences are not punishment from our sin. The punishment either awaits the unforgiven, non-repentant person or, praise the Lord, it's already been taken care of on the cross. So we have to understand that about the story and understand that about the, the difference between consequences and punishment. So back to David, okay, and the story of God confronting him with the sin in his life. 
He thinks he's free. Everything's good. Nobody is any wiser. God uses this messenger by the name of Nathan to confront David. Nathan's a prophet. David being a just and fair king listens to the story that Nathan makes. And immediately, David calls for the rich man to pay for his actions. And, and, and it goes back to Levitical law, right? Like, like, I mean, he must do this four times over. That's not just a figure that David pulled out of thin air. That, that goes back to what happened when I stole from somebody, when I took something that was theirs. There, there was this fourfold penalty. And on top of it, on top of it, David goes, he must die. Can you imagine being in David's position? And, 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 and God's messenger comes and he shares that story with you. And David immediately is just enraged. He's mad. He's like, we must take care of this now. And then Nathan drops the truth behind. You're the Come on, mic drop, right? You're, you're the guy. Verse 9 says, Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. David knew he was wrong. David loved God's word. We talked about that last week. He knew that his actions were wrong and that he was stepping out of line. He despised, even if temporarily, the word of the Lord. Here's the moment, church. We've got to learn. Here's the moment we must learn from David. What does he do? I mean, Nathan, this prophet, just said, you're the rich guy. What's he do next? Does he make an excuse? Nathan, man, you just don't know how good looking she was. Does he justify his actions? Well, I'm king. I deserve this. Does he play the victim card? Does he deny the truth that Nathan is giving, choosing to give pride a, a deeper place in his life? Does he just become stubborn and rebellious and say no? Or does he do the thing that God desires from His children in the moment of conviction. The sin has been laid at His feet. The light is now shining upon it. It is now out in the open. Somebody else knows. What's He do? Verse 13 is deep. David said to me, I have sinned against the Lord. 
confesses. He confesses the sin to Nathan. He admits it. He verbally talks about it with somebody else. James wrote, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that there can be healing. David allows for a spirit of humility to rule in his life over the prideful spirit that allowed for the sin to take place originally. He allows for humility to enter in, to rule in this moment, in the moment of conviction where we are confronted with wrongdoing. How do you respond? I mean, sometimes we just get caught. Uh-oh, got caught. And I'm just guilty because I got caught. How do you respond? And hopefully you have people in your life who can and will hold you accountable to the blind spots that you may have. And when they shed light on something and they bring it before you, how do you respond? It's not pleasant. I can tell you that right now. It's not pleasant at all. I remember the time Ed's here. I didn't like Ed for a while. You know why? Because we were sitting in this radical mentoring thing, men discipling men. We were doing this exercise where we're being vulnerable and transparent. And he called me out on something in front of other men. What a jerk that guy is. No. He loved me enough to reveal to me that there's this thing going on in your life that you may not be aware of, but all the rest of us see it. And it's not God on me. Probably ought to check into it. It's not pleasant. It's not fun to hear the truth when the truth isn't flattering. When the truth doesn't really build me up in a positive light, it's not fun to hear that. How do you respond? Sometimes God doesn't even use other people. He just uses circumstances or <clears throat> He uses the Holy Spirit within us to convict us. You're sitting there reading Scripture and, and, and you read through something and you're like, man, I know that's talking to me. Flip, flip, flip. Let's just jump over here to something else. Are you sitting there at night alone with your thoughts and God's putting this thing on your heart where you know a thing, a behavior, or whatever is, is, is not God-honoring? How do you respond? Do you make excuses? And do you justify your actions? Do you play the victim card? Do you deny the truth that the Holy Spirit is prompting in your life? Do you become stubborn and rebellious? I can say yes to every single one of those. Or, do you submit to the authority of the Holy Spirit in your life and in humility you repent of those sins? And as a result of David's humility, we talked about that a good bit more last week, there's this confession of sin 
I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replies, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. That line is in there because David brought that on upon himself. Not only should we repay four times, but that rich man ought to die. Not so with you. The Lord has taken away your sin and you're not going to die. I wish we had a lot of time to get into this, but what's cool about this, this reply from Nathan is the phrase, the statement, the Lord has taken away your sin. It has an interesting meaning in the Hebrew. It, it, it means to pass over. That's what it means. But sin is not passed over without blood sacrifice. As we saw in Exodus, as we see on the cross. The sin has been forgiven. But you know what? David still has to deal with the consequences. And in this case, there's going to be some discipline. The discipline is to not get even. The discipline is not to, to make David mad. It's not to put him in his place. The discipline is there for one reason, and that is to purify David's life. <clears throat> and the conse consequences that are going to come will be with the child losing his life. The child's going to die. It doesn't seem fair. Well, we're not sovereign. We, we look at this through our earthly eyes, and of course it doesn't seem fair. But faith is trusting that God knows best. And so David is going to be disciplined. He has to live with the consequences. So how does David handle it? What's, what's David do here? Well, he fasts. It says that he fasted for the days that the child was sick. Verse 16, David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and he spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. That, 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 that's the immediate response. The immediate response is, is I have sinned against the Lord. There's going to be all these consequences and, and, and we'll look at this briefly, but there's going to be eight chapters of calamity and stuff in David's life. <laughs> that's what's coming. And you know where David begins dealing with the consequences? He, he begins the dealing with the consequences in the presence of the Lord. He fasts. He is completely focused on his relationship with God in this moment. David is praying. He is pleading with God. He's not distracted with worldly issues. He's the king for Pete's sake. He's not even distracted with the issues of his own kingdom. He is doing one thing and one thing only. I am coming before the Lord. I'm spending focused time with God. Church, if we're going to be a people after God's own heart, then we too must have distraction-free times with the Lord. I'm not saying you've got to put on sackcloth and lay on the ground for seven days. I'm not saying you've got to give up eating and drinking for seven days. All right, I'm, I'm not saying any of that. 
But what we can take away from David is that in this moment of, of I know these consequences are coming, <clears throat> I've already been warned that there's going to be calamity in my life, he begins with focused prayer. He begins with a focused time. And so seven days goes by, the child goes on to lose his life. David hears the news. The people are scared. His servants are scared. How's he going to react? He's not mad at him. He gets bathed. Puts some lotion on. And he goes and he worships the Lord. And this part right here speaks directly to me. He did it before eating. That's how important it was. He didn't feed himself first. He didn't take care of his own physical needs first. He went and he spent time with the Lord in worship. See, what's happened in this story is that David has been forgiven of those sins. It's the same forgiveness that is available to you and I. Forgiveness means two things. In the Bible, two things. Number one, there's the pardon of sin. The sin that we have, it's been pardoned. It's been taken care of. That's what God looks at. As far as the east is from the west, not only in God's economy, hey, it's there, it's gone. Like it's, it's not even there anymore. He forgets it. And then the second thing is the restoration of sin, uh, the restoration of relationship. That's the second thing that comes with forgiveness is, is the relationship is restored. And, and we know this from our relationships with one another, don't we? I, you can't enjoy fellowship with a person if you have wronged him or he has wronged you unless the matter is cleared up. It says God's forgiveness removes the guilt. It removes the source of hostility and fellowship is restored. So the child passes away. David gets up, he worships the Lord, and he returns to normal life. And he is a changed man. Now, the consequences are still there. there there's still some things coming at him. And for the next eight chapters of 2 Samuel, David's life is somewhat of a train wreck. I mean, it's one of those, man, let's just sit back and watch this thing unfold. Confession of sin. Repentance from sin. Forgiveness of sin. Does not eliminate the consequences of sin. And you know what we learn over the course of the next eight chapters from the life of David? Grace that God extends to all of us allows us to go forward no matter what. No matter what life may bring, no matter what those consequences are, the grace of God allows us to go forward. The godly response, even to the consequences of sin, is what sets David apart. It is why he is a man after God's own heart. It's not that he's perfect. We know that. 
But, but even in dealing with the heirs of his way, he does it in a way that honors God. That's what separated him and Saul. Saul had this prideful spirit that said, nope, not me. He's justifying his actions. He's making excuses. David was confessing and repenting. Maybe you got some stuff going on in your life. And maybe you hear all this talk about sin and repentance, consequences and punishment. Now you need to know that 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 your sin has got you into some stuff. And there's consequences for it. Can't deny it. But you need to know that you do not have to live with the punishment waiting. Jesus takes care of that right now. He takes care of that upon the submission of your life to Him. And at that point in time, Lord, please, I beg you, forgive me. And they are washed away. So if you're going through some stuff this morning, I want to encourage you with Psalm 51. I want to read it. It's going to come up on the screen. And this is how we're going to close. This is the second psalm that David wrote. He's got all this going on. These are the words that he wrote. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. You can pray this prayer to yourself right now. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me, God, the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior. My tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, for I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. 
then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole, then bulls will be offered on your altar. Father, we pray that same prayer for our lives. I pray that we mean the words that David wrote. Pray for broken and contrite hearts, Lord. Deliver us, Lord. We know you can. We know you will. And we approach the conviction of the sin in our life with humility. We love you, God.